0: Thank you.
2: Welcome to the Billboard Charty Podcast.
1: Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts,
2: and Trevor Anderson here, Billboard's Ch- uh, chart manager slash editorial liaison. This is
1: where we look to uh, look at what's on the charts and why what's on the charts. And uh, Trevor, I'm just I'm just happy you're here. I thought you might run off with Kelly Rowland after your session with her last week.
2: Kelly Rowland was in the office last week. I guess this is actually a, probably a great time to. Get some shout-outs to the other uh, Billboard audio podcast. Um, she was here recording an episode of Soul Sisters that will be airing sometime in the next few weeks, it sounds like. Um, and while she was here, you know, you just get a nice photo op. I'm from Houston. I grew up with Destiny's Child. So, yeah. There was a connection.
1: Yeah. Maybe you didn't feel it. Everyone watching. They, you, <laughs> you something.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm sure Kelly Rowland is really going to be uh, going after me sometime soon on that Cougar game. So I'll I'll wait for the DM. You've sort of become the point person
1: for uh, artists come in, they sign the Billboard book of number one hits written by Fred Bronson who started Chartbeat. And, and uh, for all the number ones, uh, you you pointed all the pages, they signed them. And I remember uh, Kelly pointed to one of them and said she hated doing that song live in concert. And it was kind of surprising. It was one of their best-known songs, Destiny's Child.
2: Uh, yeah, they um – Kelly said that the song Bootylicious, which I don't think they – she at least she didn't realize it went to number one. Um, it kind of zoomed to number one. If you want to get back into the history of it, it really jumped up there. But, uh, yeah, she said that they don't really like the song because if you've ever seen it perform it live, it takes a lot of dance moves, a lot of energy, a lot of sweat. Welcome again to
1: the Billboard Sharpie podcast. A lot of stuff uh, on uh, this week's episode. We're going to run down the top ten of the Billboard Hot 100, uh, which includes Harry Styles' debut – uh, Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, number one again. Uh, we'll take a really deep look at that uh, in our Insider interview this week. We're going to really just uh, break down the song almost minute by minute here on the podcast with uh, Yael and Dave Penn from hit songs Deconstructed. And we'll flash back 27 years, 1990, the number one song this week on the Hot 100 back then. But first, this week's top ten. Ten, nine, eight, Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five.
0: Four, three, two, one. Injection, fellas.
2: Okay, and uh, make sure you guys check out this week's top ten. Here we go. Enjoy.
0: I ain't in no All my friends are dead, push me to the edge All my friends are dead, push me to the edge All my friends are dead, push me to the edge Phantom, that's all right Inside all white, that's how Daniel Rodgers Yeah, yeah, boostin' my hydrolyle, be it fine Percocet, yeah, Molly, little Percocets, be it fine Percocet, yeah, my little Percocets, be it fine set, yeah. yeah, gotta the set, yeah, yeah. I spy with my little eye A girly I can get cause she don't get too many likes A curly added cutie I could turn into my wife Wait, that means forever, ever hold up, never mind Oh, I, I spy with something. Holla, holla, bitch, holla, sit holla, down Me on board oh, oh, Strawberry shining, so bright right. Strawberry shaming on us Lucky for you, that's what I like this That's what I like, like. Lucky for you, that's what I like That's oh. oh. in love with your body Where everything is covering something brand new I'm in love with the shape of you Come on, be my baby, come on Come on be my baby come on come on be my baby come
1: on come on be my baby come on, come on Ed Sheeran's Shape of You number 1 for a 12th week on the Billboard Hot 100. I don't want to say too much because again we just mentioned that we're going to go really in depth about the song coming up but 12 weeks at number 1 on the Hot 100 huge deal uh, one of only 18 songs all time in the Hot 100's history to be number 1 for at least that long.
2: Yeah Obviously, is still, still climbing up. It's uh, again. I mean, the first quarter really, in a lot of ways, belonged to Ed Sheeran. And I don't. I think even though, you know, people, uh, anticipating the the song and the album since it first came out. I don't think anybody quite expected the song in particular to be, uh, as big as it's gotten. I mean, it just seems like you know people thought, okay, when it debuted at number one, that, in a way, seemed expected, normal. But you know, to to have held on really, again, a dozen weeks and. Maybe maybe more, I think, is something that people, you know, really, really weren't foreseeing.
1: Yeah, uh, Bruno Mars, that's what I like at number two. It It is closing the gap a little bit, so you can sort of see at this point if the songs keep moving the way they are. It's possible Bruno could could overtake Shape of You. Uh, mask Off by uh, Future is uh, certainly making a big jump as well.
2: The Mask Off Challenge.
1: One of two challenges Crazy. in the top ten.
2: Yeah, obviously Mask Off is, is doing very well. I'm sure probably plenty of people have seen on social media the sort of the violins and the flutes. And it's it's kind of a cool challenge because it, I mean, not that the ones that focus on dancing aren't cool or, like, neat, but something that like, you know, an instrument-based challenge, something people really don't normally see. Right. And especially with Future Song, which, even though there are a lot of, you know, orchestral instruments in his music, it's kind of interesting to see, like, you know, 13-year-old, violin players and future mashed up and it's like yo
1: and the little uzi vert challenge uh at number eight
2: yeah um so that's helping the exo tour life song which you know uzi vert's having i mean people have kind of been watching it for a moment waiting for that breakout obviously seems to have come in the past you know couple months and especially you know a lot of rappers who get their first featured credits and and blowing up sort of our featured stuff he's on bad bougie i'm sure plenty of people know but to also see them kind of break out on their own and, you know, get their own kind of shine and credit, it's always good, too.
1: Um, so potential contenders for number one. The other song, a huge uh, first week in the Hot 100s top ten, Harry Styles. Sign of the Times debuts at number four. Pretty historic stuff. When, when you look at it this way, um, Zane debuted at number one with Pillow Talk, his first solo single last year, yeah. also debuted in the top ten with Taylor Swift on I Don't Want to Live Forever, and now Harry Styles has debuted in the top ten. No other group in the entire Hot 100s history has ever had two soloists debut in the top ten with singles. So One Direction is the first to do that.
2: Um, I mean, the fan base, obviously, is, is is super strong. You see that with, you know, they always get number one albums, and a lot of their songs, you know, debut in the top ten of the Hot 100 and, and do really well out of the gate. So
1: Other boy bands... Um, New Kids on the Block did have two members have top tens. Uh, they just didn't debut in the top ten with their hits. Um, kind of interesting. They were both about a month apart in 1999, fairly, you know, about a, a decade after their dominance. Um, Joey McIntyre and Jordan Knight both hit the top ten in spring 1999. Um, Nick and, and Joe Jonas have both had top tens from the Jonas brothers. I, I thought it's kind of interesting. You look back at you know, one of the biggest er- – maybe the biggest really modern era for boy bands was Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. What do you mean maybe? The Beatles. You yeah. could look at the Beatles. You know, you weren't alive for how big New Kids on the Block were in 1990. There's a big – they were I, big. I mean, I get it, but still – So you're I saying mean, unquestionably NSYNC, Backstreet Boys is the boy band era.
2: Yeah. I, I, I mean, that – you know, I mean, that, that just generated a whole new – like, that was the sound, the little, right. you know, young pop. I mean, that washed away, you know, the, the more sets and the and the sort of grungy rock. I mean, you know, when teen pop hit in 97, right. it took over.
1: And Max Martin, the writer of a lot of those songs, has never stopped having hits.
2: Yeah, I mean, and even as sort of that sound kind of went in and out, you know, hip-hop came around in the 2000s and, and took over for a while, Max Martin still was kind of, you know, working underground. But if you look at, at for all their success... Uh, Justin
1: Timberlake is the only member of either NSYNC or Backstreet Boys to have a top 10 hit solo.
0: I will be right by your side.
1: Another song to watch for next week, uh, talking about the top 10 of the Hot 100, could debut in the top 10, we're not sure yet, Uh, Lady Gaga's new song, The Cure.
2: Yeah, interesting song there. She uh, debuted it during her Coachella set. She was headlining last weekend, just added to the set list kind of out of nowhere, said she wanted to keep it a surprise from people, hadn't really told anybody about it, Uh, Performs it live for the first time right then, right there, and then it goes on on sale at iTunes and uh, Spotify and hits all the retailers really hit number one on iTunes pretty quickly. It was there for most of the weekend. So, you know, the little monsters, of course, were out there grabbing it up. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, where it does end up because, I mean, again, no one no one really saw it coming. It sounds more like kind of the, the modern, you know, current state of top 40. So right. it, it fits in there pretty easily. Haven't really heard too many negative things about it. I know for, like, perfect Illusion, not that there were negative things, but people definitely saw it as more of a, a polarizing kind of jarring song. Either you were, you were with it or you weren't. This one seems to have a lot more people going in, you know, um coming off the the success of million reasons that she had after the Super Bowl, definitely, you know, people are paying attention to Gaga again, really excited for her, so this could definitely work in her favor.
1: Yeah, the song is is certainly in that uh, that trap house vibe that's been so big now for a couple of years, so uh, we'll find out uh next week on the Hot 100 where that debuts, but uh talking about that that sound, Uh, That's the sound that really is working. It's All Over, Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. And that's what we're going to get into right now with our our guests this week. It's uh, Yael and Dave Penn. They're the co-founders of Hit Songs Deconstructed. If you've uh, listened to the podcast before, we've had them on before. Just uh, breaking down in-depth hit songs really like no one else. Just uh, really uh, picking apart songs, choruses, uh, the hooks, the verses, and and really just uh, going in deep in in terms of how uh, songs are written and, and why they connect. So we're happy to have him back here on the podcast talking about Shape of You, Ed Sheeran, again, Yael and Dave Penn from Hit Songs Deconstructed here on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Yael and Dave Penn, both here on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast from Hit Songs Deconstructed. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Hello, Gary. Great Great to to be be back. Guys, every time you've been here on the podcast, I just sit back and listen because you guys are just the authorities on breaking (laughs) down hit songs. It's been so cool.
3: Well, we love doing it, so... Definitely thrilled to be back.
1: Thank you for having us. All right. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Shape of You, really go deep oh, yeah. into why the songs have been such a big hit. for Number one for three months on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, real quick, uh, Yael, you're both founders of Hit Songs Deconstructed. Just recap uh, exactly what Hit Songs Deconstructed is. What do you guys do?
4: Okay. So, what we do at Hit Songs Deconstructed is we track the compositional characteristics and the songwriting and production techniques for the songs that land in the Billboard Hot 100 Top 10. So what makes Hit Songs Deconstructed unique is that we complement resources that are tracking sales, streams, and radio airplay, um, because we're focusing on the songs at the compositional level. So our reports and our Immersion Searchable database provide data and analysis that reflect the current state of mainstream music. Um, and our subscribers use it in order to understand what the characteristics are for the songs that are in the top ten.
1: So there's a lot of writers and producers digging in deep. I've looked at some of the reports you guys do. Some of them, you print them out. It's like 80 pages long. <laughs> of oh, just how every part We're of the over song. 100 now. So. Yeah, they <laughs> keep growing. <laughs> okay.
4: However, we did just We've launch uh, a, a report that's like a on. streamlined version of that 80-page, 100-page report. So right. if you want the the Cliff Notes... We've got that, too. We have the,
3: yeah, exactly. We <laughs> have the CliffsNotes
1: now. Yeah. No, it's pretty fascinating stuff because there's really no one else I know breaking down songs like this on oh, basically a second-by-second second level of what makes a song a hit and why certain trends repeat
3: and how those songs become hits. And there's so much to learn from these songs. I mean, that's the most amazing part, you know, because a lot of people think, you know, with pop songs, it's just very simplistic, I could write that in my sleep kind of stuff. But when you dig down to this, like Max Martin's songs, for example, you realize how meticulously well crafted these songs are. So there's just so much to extract. And, and, and what's, inter- yeah. what's
1: interesting about Shape of You is just reading how um, Ed Sheeran said he wasn't even going to put this on an album. He yeah. he <laughs> originally uh, wrote it uh, with Rihanna in mind, but yeah. then when when it was going to be his he. Just thought, oh, that was fun. It's just just a throwaway kind of song. It always amazes me how how many artists never recognize when they've written what winds up being a huge hit song.
3: Yeah, and and I read, I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but you know the defining factor for him to keep it for himself was you know once he put Van Ma- Van the Man on the jukebox, that line with uh, Van Morrison, he's like, right. oh, can't imagine Rihanna singing that. That would be very interesting. If she yeah. did, it, but. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just an amazingly well-crafted song, so...
1: Well, get into it, Dave. This is always where you just take over. You, you teach the class. We take notes. How cool. has, uh, really, uh, on a basic level, when you break down the song itself, how has Shape of You become such a big uh, number one uh, yeah. on
3: the Hot 100? Well, listen, at its core, you know, it's just a really well-crafted song that possesses many of the qualities that we find in the songs that land in the upper reaches of the Hot 100 Top 10. So, for example, um, engaging in universal lyrics... The inclusion of infectious hooks, you know, short, memorable phrases that repeat throughout a song. Um, Adhering to the kiss me principle, which is keep it simple, singable, and memorable. Um, Being in tune with the sounds and the trends of the day. And also possessing a unique quality that sets it apart from many of its mainstream contemporaries. It's very important. Yeah, you've brought that up before, Dave, that a a song, sort of that that
1: magic, if there is one sort of key to having a hit, it's sounding like other
3: songs but still being unique. Absolutely. You know, it's the effective blend of the familiar and the unique that helps a song to connect with a wide audience while at the same time standing out in relation to many of its mainstream contemporaries. That truly is the key, along with simplicity. Um, So what we're going to do is look at some of the characteristics that help shape a view both blended and stand out. And also go through some of the song sections To see how it's constructed To make it really infectious, engaging, and memorable So let's start with the lyrics Which is about a guy Who sets out to find a lover Finds a girl that he's really attracted to Hooks up, and winds up falling for her in the process But despite how much he may care for It's her looks and the sex That really seem to be the uh, defining factor So while a sex-based theme Isn't really that out of the ordinary In the Hot 100 Top 10 The fact that Ed Sheeran is singing about sex is, so most of his other hits focus on more, you know, love and relationships, such as Photograph and Thinking Out Loud. So this provides Shape of You with some, you know, more intrigue compared to his other hits, which enables it to further stand out. But he's also conveying the narrative in the universally engaging storytelling type manner for which he's known, and um, you know, also utilizing, utilizing like a plethora of imagery and action and detail to ensure that it connects and engages the audience on a profound level. So, let's also look at, you know, some of Shape of You's genre influences. So, Ed Sheeran is mostly known for fusing singer-songwriter and folk influences in his hits. And Shape of You does possess these influences, which makes it sound familiar to his fans. However, singer-songwriter and folk are generally not popular influences in the top ten of the Hot 100. So, this helps Shape of You to stand out in a more of a unique manner compared to many of its mainstream contemporaries. Now, on the flip side, we have Tropical which is Shape of View's primary influence. So as you know, Tropical has been one of the hottest trends in the top ten since last summer, and Shape of View certainly capitalized on this trend. However, Ed Sheeran is not known for doing Tropical. So because it's an anomaly for Ed Sheeran, it helps the song to further stand out amongst his overall body of work and really stand out amongst his fans. Right. Yeah, No. It, 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 I think on first listen, it
1: sounded a little bit like... I don't want to know Maroon 5, some of the beeper stuff. Absolutely. And that's that's one of
3: the key familiarity factors there because it's capitalizing on this trend, so it sounds very familiar to people. Exactly. Um, And the last standout factor that we're going to take a look at are some of Shape of U's instruments, in particular the mallets and the acoustic guitar body hand tap percussion. So the use of prominent, like, marimba-esque mallets is quite rare in the top ten. There are only a few other recent hits, like you were just mentioning, that utilize them in a prominent fashion. Maroon 5's Don't Want to Know, Charlie Puth's We Don't Don't Talk Anymore, and also Fifth Harmony's Work From Home as well. Right, right. Prominent mallets, but still, you know, pretty rare. Now, even more rare than the mallets is the guitar body hand tap percussion, which is where Sheeran is using the acoustic guitar as a percussive instrument as opposed to just strumming chords. So this provides shape of view with a highly distinctive sound compared to most of its contemporaries. You don't see that too much. Actually, I can't remember any place that I've heard that in the, the last few years. Yeah. Um, and both of these stayed out elements are introduced right at the very beginning of the song in the intro. So this enables it to easily cut through airway clutter, you know, grab the listener's attention, and hook them into the song. At the same time, they also establish the, the, uh, the song's infectious groove, which remains in effect throughout every single section except for the bridge. But there's still rhythmic quality in the bridge that keeps an element—excuse <coughs> me—of that uh, rhythm going on. So let's take a listen to that intro here. So now what we're going to do is take a tour throughout some of the song's sections to really see what makes it so infectious, ah, can't talk anymore, infectious, engaging, and memorable. And we're going to pick it up in the second half of the song, starting with the second verse and continue through the uh, grand finale and the outro. And what we'll do is first listen to the sections so you can get acquainted with it, then dive into the characteristics behind it, and then listen to it one more time so you can hear how it all comes together. So we're going to pick it up now in the second verse. When we came, we let the story begin We're going
0: out on our first date mm-hmm. You and me are thrifty, so go all you can eat Fill up your bag and I fill up your plate mm-hmm. We talk for hours and hours about the sweet and the sour And how your family's doing okay mm-hmm. And get getting a taxi, kissing the back seat, Tell the
3: driver, make the radio play And I'm singing like... Alright, let's start with the lyrics. So where the first verse sets the scene and establishes the mission of the protagonist which is essentially to find a lover By the time we get to the second verse, he's already accomplished his mission, and they go out on their first date. So here, development takes place in the narrative where it focuses now on the emotional side of the relationship, as opposed to just the physical, which provides the song with increased depth and engagement value. Now, vocally, along with the first verse, it's the most rhythmically complex and loose in the scope of the song. It also features the longest length lines and adheres the least to the kiss me principle. So it's not as, you know, like easily digestible and memorable as some of the other sections in the song as we'll soon see. However, it's conveyed in a primarily monotone manner which enables that melodically uh, vibrant mallet groove to shine front and center in the mix. And lastly, the first three lines all conclude with that mmm nonsense vocal which acts as an additional infectious element and also helps to create familiarity both within the section and the song as well since the first verse also features this vocal
0: when we came when we let the story begin we're going out on our first date mm-hmm. you and me are thrifty, so go you can eat fill look your bag and I fill up the plate mm-hmm. we talk for hours and now it's about the sweet and the sour and how your family's doing okay mm-hmm. and leaving get
3: in the taxi kissing the back seat tell the driver make the radio play and I'm singing like all right so now we're going to check out the pre-chorus let's take a listen Girl,
0: you know I want your love Your love was handmade for somebody like me coming now, follow my lead I may be crazy, don't mind me Say, boy, let's not talk too much Grab on my waist and put that body on me coming now, follow my lead Come coming now,
3: follow my So the primary role of the pre-chorus is essentially to transi- transition the listener from the verse into the chorus. So here that's being done by both the protagonist and the antagonist expressing their desire for one another, which culminates in the chorus that follows. Now, typically, you know, the pre-chorus isn't the most interesting section in the song. However, Shape of You's pre-chorus has two very interesting qualities. The first is that it's the only section that conveys both the protagonist and the antagonist's point of view in the first and second half of the section, respectively. So the pre-chorus would have essentially worked very well as a male-female duet. Um, but it's not. It only features Ed Sheeran. So what he cleverly does is sing the second half of the section in a higher register, which provides the antagonist with a unique voice and accentuates the impact of the narrative in the process.
0: Girl, you know I want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me. Come on now, follow my lead. I may be crazy, don't mind me. Say, boy, let's not talk too much. Grab on my waist and put that body on me.
3: So it's a really interesting way to add engagement value to a song if it's not a duet. But it, you know, gives this, you know, increased depth to the narrative by providing the antagonist's point of view. But how do you accentuate that within a solo male vocal song? You sing in a higher register if you can pull it off, and all of a sudden you have the female conveying that, which is really cool. Yeah, because
2: a lot of songs, I guess, p- p- if people put it in other points of view, they all kind of say. You know, I remember when you said X Y Z or whatever, and they'll yeah. kind of keep it in their same voice. But th- I mean, the fact that he does that flip and, and plays both roles—that's that's the cool thing about yeah, that. Yeah, it's a
3: really clever twist, you know, yeah. and you know, thinking outside the box from a compositional standpoint. Right, it's really effective. Um, so the other really interesting aspect of the pre-chorus is that you know, its infectious uh, vocal melody has already been tested in the mainstream and proven to be very effective. And this is because it closely resembles the chorus melody in TLC's 1999 hit "No Scrubs," for which those writers were later credited.
0: Oh, no scrub. Scrub no
3: ride, so, if you're wondering where that melody came from, if it sounds familiar, that's where it came from.
1: It worked once before. Yeah, Never exactly. Went out the first time. Hey,
3: why not recycle? <laughs>
1: Um, and he's given credit, so now the credits yeah, have been absolutely. added. So it's not just that. But it, it really
3: works it. well within the song. Right. You know? I mean, here, you, know, you don't have the whole song based around the TLC song. You have one specific section which worked out to be you know, you know, quite infectious. So.
1: Trevor and I have talked about that on the podcast before, about how we've seen that happen now with uh, other songs like Uptown Funk. It turns out after they become hits, yeah. credits are being added afterwards because people realized it sounded like something else, is that... Up uh, closer something? is another one. Yeah. you have seen more one. of that, Dave, from what? what you've seen, or is it's just a tradition? Uh, we know I, what's happened I, in, in the past.
3: You but. know, it, it's interesting. I think, you know, from what I've seen, it's artists were drawing more off of obscure older songs in the past, where now, you know, they're starting to get inspired by, you know, newer songs. But that means I'm getting older, so I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um... You know, like even you know, going back to two thousand five or nineteen ninety nine or whatever. So, um, I, I think the you know, more contemporary songs are being used in that manner and you know, influencing other hits. Um, well, but also, just, yeah.
2: uh, I mean, interesting that you know, a lot of social media, a lot of users out there are really the ones who first notice these kind of trends and are really oh, yeah. you know, wait a minute, I doesn't yeah. that sound like X Y Z? And I mean, the fact that the public is just so conscious of like a lot of these hits that are that are coming up from you know, sort of their day and their growing up, that makes it so much easier for a lot of people to be like, wait a minute, like, this does sound like
3: X, Y, Z. Yeah, copyright attorneys are having a field day with this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? No, because, I mean, seriously, I mean, right. how, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel with every composition. Everything is inspired by something else. But you got to make sure that the, uh, you know, it's not verbatim. We're not too close. And if it's kind of borderline, maybe maybe you settle, you know, right off the bat and just, you know. Clear everything so there are no problems down the road. Kind of going but, back to, to what you're saying of, of that fine line between standing out and
1: still being unique. It's exactly, sounding like something but still having its own its own vibe.
3: Exactly. So long as people heard of TLC, you know. So um, which I think you know most people in the mainstream probably have. But you know, for a younger audience, maybe not familiar right. with TLC. So this could also work to TLC's benefit because you're giving new exposure to right. a hit that was back in 1999. Sure. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody, man. Right. So. Um, so now let's get to uh, the most important thing, which is the hook and payoff sections, you know, which is really what makes a song so infectious, engaging, and memorable. So 61% of Shape of You's entire composition is spent what I call in, uh, in its hook centers, which are basically sections that feature infectious hooks at their core. Now the listener remains locked within these hook centers for five consecutive sections, beginning in the second chorus and lasting right through the end of the song. So this is, you know, really one of the key reasons why the listener remains engaged at a heightened level and why they can't get the song out of their head. So let's begin by listening to the second chorus here.
0: I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet Although my heart is falling to. I'm in love with your body. Last night you were in my room. Now my she smell like you, baby.
3: So lyrically, the chorus provides the summation of the narrative following the developments that transpired in the verse and pre-chorus sections. So the protagonist set out to find a lover, he found one, they hook up, and now he's in love with her body. Now what's clever about the narrative is that it conveys the act of hooking up in an under-the-radar type manner. And this is done by using the analogy of Magnet's pushing and pulling, as well as the line, and last night you were in my room, and now my bed sheets." smell like you. So I don't think that they were sitting in bed watching TV. I think something else is probably going on there. Um, So by inferring the act of sex, uh, instead of like graphically depicting it, it keeps the song radio-friendly without the need for massive edits. Now, melodically, it's more simplistic and repetitive compared to the verse and pre-chorus sections and possesses a very engaging ascending-descending type flow. So together this enables the chorus to really, you know, connect with the listener and totally get ingrained in their head. I'm in love with the shape of you.
0: You're beautiful like a magnet. All my heart is falling to. I'm in love with your body. Last night you were in my room. And my bed sheet smell like you. We color in something brand.
3: New. So following the chorus, now we get into the post chorus, which is even more hooky. Oh, I, oh, I, oh, I, oh,
0: I. I'm in love with your body I'm in with body I'm in love with body
3: new. So this post-chorus section is even more simplistic than the chorus that precedes it. It features a newly introduced O-I-O-I-O-I hook, which provides the song with a, with a new infectious spin and it's directly followed by I'm in love with your body, and that hook was previously featured in the chorus. And like the chorus, they feature this you know, ascending, descending melodic relationship, which provides the section with a highly engaging flow. The section then concludes in essentially the same manner as the chorus, with a difference being that the I'm in love with the shape of you line is used instead of I'm in love with your body. So all in all, it's, you know, it's the combination of the new and recycled hooks that provides the song with a fresh and engaging spin, while at the same time keeping the memorability factor at a high. And one other thing to note is that additional instrumental elements are tacked onto the core mallet um, and guitar percussion groove, which provides it with increased power, texture, and dimension compared to the preceding sections. Now we get to the bridge. Come on
0: be my baby, come on. Come on 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 be my baby, come on. Come on,
3: baby, come on. Come on so the bridge is even more simplistic and more repetitive than the vocal break. Which was more simplistic and repetitive than the chorus, so you could see a little simplification trend going on here. So he just keeps narrowing it down until we keep getting to the exactly. catchier, and catchier parts exactly. as the song goes along. Exactly. It starts out with a more complex in the verse sections, which were more loose and more, um, you know, rhythmically diverse. Then it starts to simplify with the and you know get a little bit more hooky in the pre-chorus sections, which was inspired by TLC. Then it gets into the chorus section, which is even more simplistic and repetitive, and now, you, and then you get into the vocal break, which is even more, and now you're in the bridge, which is just a repetition of one line. It's like he's building his case throughout the song for why this is so catchy, and he just... Keeps more and more. <laughs> I think hitting you. This
1: is the hit. This is the hit. <laughs> you know, it's easy to to, to
4: sing along as right. well.
3: You know,
1: do you find that with a lot of other songs? Where feel like we've really uh, hit that point here. But other songs, you found that David well, necessi- by the end of the song, you're hearing yeah. the hook. Like,
3: that? well, not necessarily in the bridge, but you know, uh, quite a few songs use this post chorus, which is basically just reiterating um, hooks that were previously established in the chorus. So where the chorus might provide the summation of the narrative. And, you know, be more lyrically in-depth. In the post-chorus, it's just, it's a hook center. Right. You know, the main hook center. So this is just one short phrase, another short phrase. It might be instrumental, it might be vocal. And you just keep, you know, hammering that into the listener. And then we'll see later in the song that some of these hook centers actually intertwine to conclude the song on a really... Interesting level. So.
1: And you, you leave the listener with a high note, with the catchiest part at the end. 100%. And, just out, like, and they
2: hit that replay button just like that. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Keep them going back.
1: <laughs> and, and repetition was the word you kept using, how you hear it a lot of those hooks.
3: It's it's the same words. Uh, it's a hallmark of pop music. Absolutely. I mean, so so this section solely features repetition of the newly introduced, come on, be my baby, come on vocal which provides a development in the narrative where the protagonist, you know, essentially is, uh, declaring that he wants the antagonist to be his girlfriend. So the section begins in a very sparse manner, consisting solely of hand claps and Sharon's vocal. So not only does this provide engaging contrast compared to the intense post-course that precedes it, but it also functions as a clever audience participation element built right into the song. You know, it's very easy to imagine you know, Ed Sheeran getting an audience to clap and sing along at this point right. because of its simplicity and the repetitive nature and the clap accompaniments instead of the drums. And in order to prevent the section from becoming overly monotonous, considering its repetitive qualities, additional vocal layers and guitar are added in the second half of the section, which helps to keep it fresh and engaging as it progresses. So, there you got all that repetition going on, but you also have some harmonized vocals and you have the acoustic guitar. Which it you know basically prevents it from becoming overly monotonous and starting to bore the listener. Last thing you want to do. So let's take a listen to that again. So following the bridge. The song goes back into the chorus and then heads into the outro, which is where we're going to pick things up. So essentially, you could think of the outro as like the grand finale of a fireworks show. All the stops are being pulled in order to leave the listener on an excited and satiated high. And this is done by keeping the listener locked into the infectious groove of the preceding chorus while cleverly fusing together hooks from both the bridge and the post chorus into one over the top section. So from the bridge, we get the repetition of the come on, be my baby, come on hook, and from the post chorus, we get the repetition of I'm in love with your body, so that hook, as well as the, two line, the last two lines in the post chorus, which is um, every day discovering something brand new, I'm in love with the shape of you. Come on, be my baby. So, like you were saying, Gary, you know this technique is really a hallmark of a really effective outro. And we see that quite a bit in the right. songs that land within the top ten. You know, another one, for example, is um, um, uh, what's the name of the song? Side to Side, Ariana Grande and Nicki Minaj. Right. So, just you know, for example, that outro fuses together Nicki Minaj's vocal from the bridge and Ariana Grande's um, uh, background chorus vocal, which is um. Oh, I'm not going to sing a few, but anyway, trust me, it fishes her vocal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about it for a second. Yael, the, against the, you can do the female vocals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, Yael does it pretty well, um, and it also, you know, uh, reverts back to the uh, sparse uh, reggae accompaniment in the intro. So there's right. another, you know, recent example of the song that's fusing together some of the most infectious elements from other sections and kind of like putting together a collage at the very end of the song. Yeah,
1: you know, I, I never thought this before, Dave, until you just ran through all this. It's, it's sort of like you know, a TV show or a movie where at the end all the storylines come together and Absolutely. it makes the big conclusion at the end.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, I mean, this is a whole other probably podcast, but you know, one thing that happens when we watch movies now, especially, you know, commercial movies, I'm it's like watching a pop song unfold. You know, you have the narrative developing, and then all of a sudden you have the big chase scene, which is like the chorus, and then there's another narrative development in the big chase scene. Then somebody gets kidnapped, and then you have another chase scene, and then they're all happy, and they, you know. I'm that? telling you, man. You guys just can't watch TV now without no, turning no, it into work. No, we, we can't do anything. So. <laughs> Nothing has to do with anything analytical. But, um, yeah, but I mean, that's the whole thing. As you said, leaving the listener on that really excited high And as you said, you know, wanting more, you know, and that's what it's really all about.
1: Interesting, as always, Dave and Yael, just uh, making us think, I'm sure, people listening, of uh, if songs just kind of hit you. You don't always think about why they become hits, but a lot of what you just said really explains uh, the real reasoning, why we like these songs. I, I just find it so interesting, Dave and Yael, every single time.
3: Oh, Pleasure to be
1: here. All right. There's more for you guys to talk about. We want to get to other things. Cool. Uh, can you guys come back? and We'll get into some other trends of music and also talk about uh, Chainsmokers uh, Closer. I know yep. you guys have some thoughts how that's become one of the biggest uh, pop hits, really, in the last year, really, of all time yeah. at this point. So love to have you guys back next
3: time. We'll, we'll dig deeper. Absolutely. Love Looking forward back. to it. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Trevor.
0: Thank you. It's been seven hours.
2: Okay, so Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, uh, as we learned there, you know, he was thinking about maybe pitching it for Rihanna, and interesting that he was thinking about writing a song for her, as you guys also sure remember, he co-wrote Justin Bieber's Love Yourself last year, so Ed Sheeran being a really prolific songwriter, kind of moonlighting for other artists while he's obviously has his own career. Uh, we're going to take a flashback to another situation, another artist who moonlit for another successful number one hit on the Hot 100. That would be Prince. Way back in 1990, he wrote the song Nothing Compares to You, uh, which Sinead O'Connor recorded and took that straight to number one 27 years ago already, which, I mean, that's... Wasn't, it's kind of kind of crazy that 1990.
1: That I remember it, Trevor. Even if you weren't born, I, I remember uh, 1990.
2: I was not born, but even I, I was a group in the 90s. So for the 90s to be like 25, 27 years ago is right. ridiculous. Um, but yes, so Prince obviously at this time massive superstar. Everyone you know knows him, "Purple Rain" has been out. "Sign of the Times" has been out, um, and he actually written this song uh, back you know in, in the late 80s for some of his own band members. It never really materialized um, for their recording. And somehow Sinead O'Connor kind of just came across it. Someone suggested she record it. It had been out there. She records it, takes it, like we said, to number one. I mean, it really was, for sure, is the definitive Sinead O'Connor song. Really, unquestionably, her massive hit. Helps her album get to number one. Picks her up a couple Grammys. So really introduces her to the audience. Um, so really, you know, just a massive hit for her, Gary. Do you remember at the time what it was? What it was like, because you know the video is pretty iconic with her, just you know with the tears, and it's it's kind of sad. Yeah, the, the, and the video
1: w- was huge. Uh, the song really stood out because nothing, I say nothing compared to it. Nothing else sounded like it because it was so it was so stark. This is when uh, you know, Madonna was big with Vogue. Everything was just very produced at the time, and this song just really stopped everything if it came on the radio. So it, it really had its own sound. It, it really connected. Um, but you know the the main uh, thing that sort of took over the storyline is that Sinead just pretty quickly everyone could tell she just wasn't comfortable in the spotlight of fame. Uh, it's it's not a, everyone handles it differently, but uh, it was a couple years later that she went on Saturday Night Live, uh, did that famous performance where she uh, ripped up a picture of the Pope, and that that and that caught Saturday Night Live by surprise because she in, in rehearsal. Had uh, held up a, a picture of a refugee child. Right, yeah. And thought it would just be that. And then uh, during the live show, she rips up a picture of the Pope, uh, Lauren Michaels. Everyone had no idea what was happening. And he's since uh, said that he, he sort of felt uh, both ways about it. One, sort of felt a little betrayed that someone did something on his show that they weren't expecting. But at the same time, he also respected her artistic expression and freedom. And here we are still talking about it all these years later.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because you know that that moment, for a lot of people, really sunk her career. And she had been even even before that was that was really the one that broke the Campbell's back. But even before then, you know, she didn't want uh, the Star-Spangled Banner played at one of her performances. Right. She had boycotted the Grammys because she thought they were very materialistic and kind of self serving, which is you know one of the big critiques there. But she, as someone who won that night, not even a nominee or just you know. A celebrity attending boycotting that is, is a crazy thing um so yeah i mean for her to to do that especially for someone who kind of came out of nowhere and i think people really thought that you know maybe they maybe she owes them something for you know look we i mean all this money that she has all this attention that she now has all these these cares that are gone it's crazy
1: this is uh long before twitter and facebook i i can't imagine how big the reaction would have been of social media yeah she ripped up
2: oh my god she ripped up the, the picture of the pope on snl yeah she, she'd been trending for oh god it'd been it have been interesting i mean all the takes would have been out there and everyone would have you know this and that talking
1: about prince the anniversary yes of his passing uh this week
2: yeah kind of kind of a weird uh, a weird lineup in the chart calendar that basically the week that chanade o'connors nothing compares to you went to number one Twenty six years later is uh, the same week that that Prince unfortunately passes away.
1: And the other uh, huge hit he wrote for another act was uh, Bangles' "Manic Monday" back in nineteen eighty six. That got to number two. So uh, beyond uh, his own hits, he's he's
2: written hits for for other acts. Hey, don't forget, "I Feel for You" Shaka Khan right was a number three hit on the Hot One Hundred. Won him a Best R and B Song Grammy. So um, again, just another just another influence, and it kind of shows it's cool how. I'm sure people kind of know this, but it, they don't know, they appreciate it as much that, how diverse he was. I mean, take those three songs, for example, Manic Monday, you know, kind of a a, a pop, light pop song. You've got I Feel For You, obviously, you know, five and a half minutes of, of R&B funk influence, and then Nothing Compares To You. This is this sort of stark, ballad, um, you know, alternative leaning, and Prince, you know, single-handedly wrote all three of those. Yeah, the the
1: one that always hits me is is Manic Monday because it's just just a perfect pop song. He never really recorded that kind of sound on his own. He always just had a more R&B lean.
2: But um, hopefully that gives people at least a little background about some of his songwriting. Like we said, obviously well-known as an artist, but as a songwriter himself, you know, would have had probably a massive career just on that alone, writing for other artists.
1: All right, we'll close with uh, Prince Music here on the Billboard Charpy podcast Uh, again next week. uh, We'll talk about more Ed Sheeran. Uh, Can he get a lucky 13th week at number one? Maybe Bruno Mars takes over. Maybe uh, future is on his way up. We'll see what Harry Styles does in his uh, second week. Lady Gaga debut somewhere on the Hot 100 uh, with The Cure. And uh, also, uh, Hit Songs Deconstructed, we'll go back to uh, Yael and Dave. They're going to be back to talk about more. We're actually going to get into uh, The Chainsmokers Closer and some other songs. Uh, that song has just become historic, uh, 12 weeks at number one, just like Shape of You. So we'll uh, talk about some of uh, what's made that song such a big hit. And that is everything for next week's
2: uh, Charpie Podcast. We already got next week's plan, Trevor. And for Gary... I'm Trevor. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Enjoy the Prince.